everyone, I'm Kristen Oaks-White. Thank you for joining us for This Week in Louisiana Agriculture, the only TV show bringing Louisiana farmers and consumers together every week. We'll hear from Avery a little later on in the show. Well, the Ninth Ward in New Orleans has been devastated by both hurricanes and crime. Recently, some housing built there from outside agencies have started to fall apart. However, one community group is looking to help rebuild from the inside. This week, Twyla's Neil Melanson shows us how the lessons of agriculture are providing hope in the neighborhood. Something new is growing in New Orleans. After Hurricane Katrina, many empty lots were left abandoned and grown over. Sankofa, a community organization, is using agriculture to change that, though. Founder and CEO Rashida Ferdinand has established a community garden here in the Ninth Ward. She says in addition to the food it provides, it also serves as an outdoor classroom. We started this garden around 2010 and we wanted it to be a space for community members to enjoy agriculture, um, a space where they could convene, learn about um, the basic processes of gardens, but also be able to refine skills that they may have. We have a lot of folks who do backyard gardening in this neighborhood and we want it to be a resource space for them and also beautify the area. Sankofa also has operated a market for their produce at the entrance to the Lower Ninth on St. Claude Avenue. A permanent structure is being put in place that will have both a market and serve as a learning center. Fresh food, fresh fruits and vegetables were one of the offerings and we thought that also transforming this land and land that was unused or vacant um, into healthy fresh spaces for growing food was also a great part um, of, of our, our work. And so we added this garden project onto it. So this is like really one of our second projects. Good diets are not the only thing Sankofa is trying to fix. Here at the northern edge of the ward, they're restoring a 40-acre tract of wetlands by removing invasive tallow trees and replanting native species. So now with something like this where people can come out and school children can see, get described just what wetlands are features that uh, may have been here at one time. The wetland park is home to a lot of native birds. It will also be home to more educational opportunities aimed at the community's youth, including these signs and games as well as some outdoor classrooms. Projects like Sankofa are models for urban restoration and cities that want to work with nature, according to state conservationist Chad Kaser. I'm proud to see individuals taking vacant lots and growing food for their community, uh, getting their hands back into the soil, uh, learning about soil health, learning about plants, uh, feeding people, helping their community. All of those things are just fantastic. Sankofa's achievements were recently recognized by the state. Ferdinand says one of the key ingredients has been grassroots participation. Community members and stakeholders know what their needs are and we've been doing this for a long time and I think it's very important to have external support and efforts to be a part of it and work with us in alignment with what our vision is and our goals are. We all work together. When we leave different folks out of the table, out of the conversation, you don't have a full grasp of what the vision could be and what the opportunities could be. So I think everyone needs to come both internal and external and work together. Groups like Sankofa rely on donations to help. If you'd like to become more involved, you can log on to our website at twilighttv.org and find a link there. And Kristen, you know, we hear a lot of news out of New Orleans, and it's all bad. It's all crime and what goes wrong and, you know, the hurricane devastation and stuff with energy. I talked to Rashida Ferdinand about this, and I asked her had she ever been interviewed by one of the major networks down there about what she does. She said no. 
And so, I mean, she's got all this, this urban garden, she's got the market that's being built, and she's got this wetlands park project that actually helps protect the stuff from hurricanes in the future. And you don't see that in the news all the time. And of course, we're put it, putting this out there, but there's groups like this that go on in the Ninth Ward and all throughout New Orleans, and they just don't get the attention because the old saying goes in journalism, if it bleeds, it leads. I was but, about to say, good news doesn't sell right. very often. And so I, I just think it's important. I, I think if even if they put her out there once a month, once every quarter, whatever, that people might take some hope and become involved with this. I talked to a guy while I was out there at the Wetlands Park who was just proud of the work that he was doing, maintaining the park and helping, you know, renew this. And, and they're still, they've, what you saw was about half of what they're going to do in the future. They're going to do all that 40 acres and get rid of all those tallow trees. But, you know, I mean, they're, when, once they see these projects evolve, mm -hmm. they, they get involved with it. And I think if they had more press like this, there'd be more hope for those those areas. And I, when you sent the pictures to me, I was truly surprised to learn that that was in the Ninth Ward. Yeah. And I think so many other people, you know, across Louisiana and, and the nation would be too. Right. So thank you so much, Neil Melanson, for bringing this story to our attention. Well, for years, the Louisiana Farm Bureau has taken groups of farmers and ranchers to the nation's capital to advocate for issues they face back home on their farms. However, with increased security and COVID-19 restrictions in Washington, D.C., the Louisiana YFNR decided to use technology to make the long-distance connection. This week, Twyla's Carl Wiggers shows us how the YFNR continue to reach their congressional delegates with their stories. Young farmers and ranchers are gathered around the boardroom at Louisiana Farm Bureau telling stories from their farms across Louisiana. I was extremely pleased with it. It was nice. It was back to a sense of normalcy. Vincent Canatella is a farmer from St. Landry Parish and chair of the Louisiana Farm Bureau's Young Farmers and Ranchers Committee. He says meetings like this are important to share concerns and issues directly with lawmakers and their staff about what he faces on his farm. I feel as though it means more when they get to meet with us and know that every day we're working and these are problems that we're facing and this is the help we need, that they take it more to heart and they try to get some answers for us or some solutions for us and free up resources. Brandon and Danielle Vale farm in southwest Louisiana. Hurricane Laura damaged their home so they can't even live in it. Congressman Garrett Graves joined the group and he was troubled by their story. He got to meet, you know, some committee members who are from hurricane struck areas and get firsthand knowledge on the issues they have with money that's been allocated by the federal government to help different farm programs, disaster aid programs, and many farmers who have not gotten their aid yet. You know, money's just tied up. To know that we have disaster funds available, that we have folks like Avail that have that have needs that are clearly impacted and in the impacted zone in Calcasieu Parish, there, um, that's infuriating. So making sure that we're we're connecting the dots and not making people like them re-victimized by our own government's uh, inability to deliver. Graves says meetings like this help him understand the problems facing Louisiana farmers. And so it's so critical to have the opportunity to talk to people that are on the ground, the people that are dealing with the regulations, with the rules, with the real world. So being able to spend time with real people, real understanding of what's going on and being able to translate that or share their experiences with us allows us to take it back and make sure that we're out there uh, putting solutions in place to really fix problems, not solutions in search of problems. 
After the meetings at the Louisiana Farm Bureau State Office, the group of young farmers and ranchers met with Senator Bill Cassidy at his office in downtown Baton Rouge. If you'd like to hear more about the visits on this event, you're in luck. Avery and Carl sat down with Louisiana Farm Bureau National Affairs Coordinator Andy Brown and Vincent Canatella to record a new episode of the Grassroots Government Podcast. On this episode, the group discusses some of the issues addressed by the young farmers, some feedback they heard from the congressional offices, and also the importance of meetings like this for farmers to share their stories with their elected officials. You can listen to that episode now wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'll link you over to it on our website at twilatv.org. Well, young farmers and ranchers have been busy across the state doing more than meeting with their representatives and senators. They've also been busy passing a good time and raising a lot of money. This year, the third annual party at the Red Barn in Abbeville raised more than $52,000. That money will go towards their parish scholarships, the Louisiana Farm Bureau Foundation, Linda and Wayne Zonbrecher Scholarship, Louisiana Ag in the Classroom, and their local young farmer and rancher committee to host future events to promote agriculture. It's very important because it uh, promotes agriculture in the community and uh, we're fulfilling some scholarships, uh, the Lyndon Wayne Zonbreaker and the Dwayne Zonbreaker Scholarship. It's meant so much to our board to have this influx of youth in, in the community and uh, they've just stepped up and taken the bull by the horns and have done a phenomenal job in everything they do and uh, they just enjoy putting on fundraisers and, and being together. And, making things work out. One day we said we need, we wanted to raise money for the Dwayne Zonberger scholarship and we just put our heads together and we said well let's cook a pig and invite a few people and you know sell some tickets and see what see what happens and it was only supposed to be two thousand dollars but I think the third share might have been twenty to thirty thousand dollars that we that we raised so it was it was really nice. This event is important because not only does it benefit the recipient of the multiple scholarships but it helps bring the voice of agriculture to our parish and surrounding parishes. It brings um, our local farmers together for a good cause and it brings our community in to bring awareness to, like I said, our scholarships and ag in general. Makes me feel very good because this has been the focus of my, of my tenure as president. I, I really wanted to get the young people involved and it's, it's really, really blossomed and there's several, several couples here that will step up and, and be the next leaders of our organization. More than 300 people filled the barn this year to enjoy the great food and fellowship at this year's event. Now, if you're feeling that tinge of regret for missing out, fear not. They're already planning next year's party at the Red Barn for some time in February. And we'll let you know when the plans are locked in so you can mark your calendars for next year. Well, there's a whole new round of champions in Louisiana following the 2022 LSU Ag Center's State Livestock Show. The event took place February 12th through the 19th at the Lamar Dixon Expo Center in Gonzales. Over the eight days, young people from across the state demonstrated showmanship and showed off their cattle, sheep, goats, poultry, and swine to win grand champion. Britlin Dirk of Vermillion Parish is a junior in high school, and she says caring for her show heifer and her involvement in 4-H has helped her grow as a person. It helped me get out of my comfort zone to like make new friends, help people, not be afraid to go ask for help to new people, and just know that I have like a community here. That's what I love about Million Parish is that we have a big community and everyone's willing to support one another and help out. And like I like to say that everything's in Vermillion Parish is community property. If you need help with something, they are you can use their stuff or they're willing to help you. And I just that's what I love about 4-H. I mean, everyone's here for you. And I could not agree with that more. If you would like to see the full list of winners, check out the link with this story on our website at twilighttv.org. 
The Louisiana sweet potato industry injects more than $82 million a year into the state's economy. That's according to the LSU Ag Center's Ag Summary. And it's Louisiana sweet potato farmers who keep that industry going strong. Twyla's Avery Davidson takes us to Evangeline Parish to meet Larry Fontenot, who served in the Louisiana Sweet Potato Commission, which has been supporting farmers for 70 years. Chava, chava, Larry Fontenot calls his cattle and they come just like they're supposed to. But when they see his truck with a box of sweet potatoes on the back, well, you see the reaction. Fontenot does raise some cattle. We try to raise our own replacement heifer. But what he just fed these cattle is Fontenot's livelihood. This field in Evangeline Parish is where Fontenot grows sweet potatoes. Not just any sweet potatoes, but Evangelines. Fontenot's father grew sweet potatoes on this land and was a founding member of the Louisiana Sweet Potato Commission. Fontenot knew farming was what he wanted to do, but... Dad and Mom made me go to college, so I got a degree in agronomy before I could come back and farm. Uh, there was a time uh, back in uh, the 1979 or uh, uh, 1980 where I was debating whether to go into grain or sweet potatoes, and uh, due to the grain situation at that time, uh, meaning uh, profit margins were very low, we decided to come into the sweet potato business. And uh, at that time, in 1980, that's whenever we started setting up to uh, uh, sell our own, grow and sell our own sweet potatoes. And from 1980 up until present, uh, this is what I've been doing. And Fontenot has been doing well, using all local seasonal labor and selling his sweet potatoes much like his father did but that does not mean this farm is the same. It has changed since dad's passing about six years ago. We've changed a little bit and we had to adapt to uh, uh, market changes. Uh, in the last six years, we saw all the canning plants in Louisiana leave and we had to find a home for that uh, plant, uh, for that sweet potato that we would uh, sell to the canning plant, which was about 60% of our crop. And uh, now you have the French fry world that has come in and uh, uh, consumed some of that. What consumes much of Fontenot's time now is keeping this operation running in the black, something that's tough to do following years of natural disasters, but it's an endeavor he finds rewarding. Mother Nature controls your destiny more than anything else in our business, but uh, 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 working, growing crops, the uh, satisfaction of putting a seed in the ground or a sweet potato slip and coming back 90 days and uh, reaping the benefit of that uh, growing season. It's, it's, a, it's a good feeling, it's hard to explain, but it's, it's something I still enjoy doing, with, uh, struggling with to, to make ends meet right now, but still enjoying being outside, turning over soil and uh, planting a crop in the spring and harvesting it in the fall. And Louisiana consumers are thankful every fall for the bounty of Fontenot's harvest. In Evangeline Parish, I'm Avery Davidson for This Week in Louisiana Agriculture. Now you can buy sweet potatoes directly from the Fontenot's farm when they're in season. This story was brought to you by the Louisiana Sweet Potato Commission, celebrating 70 years of supporting our farmers. Well, as you saw, sweet potatoes are a very labor-intensive crop, as are many of Louisiana's farm commodities. That's why each year the Louisiana Farm Bureau holds the Mid-South Agriculture Labor Seminar. This event gathers experts in labor issues to help chart the complicated regulations that face farmers each year. 
This year, the seminar was finally conducted in person after last year's pandemic cancellation. More than 90 attended the event in Port Allen and included labor attorneys, officials at the U.S. Department of Labor, and state regulatory experts. AgWorks H2 President Dan Brimmer, whose company focuses on advising farmers about the fluid labor laws and conditions, says the struggle to find labor is more competitive than ever before. You can't open any newspaper that's not looking for truckers. You can't open a newspaper not looking for help. You walk down the street, virtually every business has a sign out, we're hiring. So it's very competitive to get workers. And agriculture has traditionally been a job that some people didn't want. Now some people do, and they have every opportunity to work in agriculture. But it's, it's tough recruiting for agriculture. It's hot. <laughs> it's hot, it's dirty, long hours sometimes, but the pay is sometimes pretty good. The labor seminar is put on by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Labor Advisory Committee. A link on how to participate and get more information year-round is on our website at twilatv.org. Still to come on Twyla, we check in on Louisiana crawfish prices and see how the LSU Ag Center is protecting that valuable commodity. Stay with us. My name's Cullen Kovac and I'm a director for Louisiana Land Bank, but I'm also a farmer and a rancher. You go to get a loan or something, you always have to go to a building or a bank. I don't have time to drop a whole day and get that done. Louisiana Land Bank, they come out to your place and do business on your farm. They don't have a nine to five. I called Louisiana Land Bank. They came out in their pickup truck and we signed the papers on the tailgate. If you're looking for land or a piece of equipment, call Louisiana Land Bank. They'll come to you. We do a lot of hard labor. A lot of it is driven by technology. We were one of the very first in our area to get vaccinated. We trust experts in their field. We're fifth generation farmers providing the safest, most economical food because of science. What if we're in a farm accident? There is no room. All the hospital resources are going towards COVID. The vaccine is a tool in our toolkit of how we succeed as a family or as a business. When the sun's setting, we did a good day's work and we can face tomorrow. I'm a steward of the land. I am growing a better future. I am feeding the world. I'm making the world a better place. I am resilient. I'm essential, and I'm still farming. I am essential. I am still farming. I am resilient. I am essential. I am still farming. No matter what happens, we are still farming. I am Farm Bureau. 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 We are Farm Bureau. In 2020, there were 35 reported accidents related to grain bin entrapments in the United States. That's according to a recent report from Purdue University. As Louisiana Farm Bureau Safety Director Wendell Miley explains, those accidents are the driving force behind these life-saving workshops. We have over three programs this week, Oak Grove, Vidalia, Winsboro. We probably had anywhere from 160 to 170 
total people come out to these three programs, farmers, firefighters, and such. There, sometimes it's hard to measure safety, but when you know people that were trained with this program show up to a grain bin where somebody has been engulfed in grain and they save that person, wow, what a feeling. So the goal is saving lives and uh, that's what we're here tonight for. This is probably our ninth year to do this program. It began because of a fatality in Caddo Parish, but we host it to save lives. Bottom line, if we can save one person's life by conducting these types of programs across the state for our farmers, firefighters, and people that are first on the scene, we want them to know how to do it, but ultimately our goal is, is saving lives. That's what this program's all about. February 20th through the 26th is National Grain Bin Safety Week. To help get rescue tubes that save lives to more first responders, Nationwide is accepting nominations to win a grain bin safety rescue tube for your local fire department. To learn more about this program, you can visit our website at twilatv.org. Well, above average temperatures in November and December helps Louisiana's crawfish season get off to an early start. As well as Craig Gotro shows us, the market has an ample supply for consumers to enjoy, especially in January and February. Warm weather in November and December might not have made it feel like the holiday season, but it helped give young crawfish in Louisiana a chance to grow. Water temperatures in some ponds were as high as 75 degrees at the end of December, making it feel more like March. This temperature where the water temperatures jump in between 60 to 70 degrees, uh, that's optimum for crawfish growth and uh, we'll, we'll just continue to have a good amount of crawfish available in the marketplace. More seasonal temperatures have returned in January, but because many crawfish have reached market size, crawfish producers have started fishing earlier. One threat to the crawfish industry is the deadly white spot virus. Unfortunately, little is known about it. We don't know the transmission vectors uh, at this point, uh, whether it's birds or whether it's uh, insects or uh, something in the water. Uh, we, don't, we haven't identified that yet, just how it gets into a pond. Haley Gamble is a graduate student involved in collecting field data for a white spot research project. Studying white spot and crawfish is somewhat of a groundbreaking experience for her. Not a lot of published literature um, on white spot uh, within crawfish ponds. So this is one of the first really intensive studies to look at white spot within an aquaculture context. Shirley's quick to point out that white spot is only a threat to crustaceans. The virus might be present or not present in a sack of crawfish that you uh, boil this weekend. Uh, it's not a concern for people. So go ahead and enjoy the crawfish. It doesn't affect the taste. It doesn't affect anything else. Uh, enjoy Louisiana crawfish. With the LSU Ag Center, this is Craig Gotro reporting. Now, because of the growing popularity of crawfish products, Louisiana is expected to have nearly 260,000 acres of crawfish ponds across the state, producing nearly 150 million pounds of crawfish. While crawfish prices have recently made the news, and they're more expensive than normal. The good news is it's still early in the season, and it just might feel later because Mardi Gras is early this year. However, there's still good deals out there, and as it warms up, we should see the prices go back down. If you want to go check out the Sankofa Park in New Orleans, you can pick up crawfish at the NOLA Crawfish King for $3.99 live and $5.99 a pound boiled. If you want to get some of Larry Fontenot's sweet potatoes in Evangeline Parish, B&L Seafood Market has them for $3.55 live and $5.99 a pound boiled. Finally, the party at the Red Barn might be over, but you can make your own party in Abbeville at the Fat Boys Crawfish Company for $3.75 a pound for live and $6 for boiled. 
As always, please call or check the Crawfish app before you head out to buy as prices can change even day to day. These crawfish prices are brought to you by the Louisiana Crawfish Promotion and Research Board, which reminds you to always eat Louisiana crawfish and make sure you ask before you eat. Still to come on Twyla, we'll introduce you to the latest social media bovine star who's breaking the internet in this week's Twyla Boost. Stay with us. Landowners are minding the Louisiana forest for our grandchildren. A place for wildlife. Recreation. Lumber for homes. It's the right thing to do. Forestry. Covering half our state, all of our hearts. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whatever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look, listen, live. It's a well-known fact that here in Louisiana, sugarcane is more than just a crop. It's a way of life. It creates more than 16,000 jobs across the state and an additional $3 billion boost to our state's economy. And Louisiana's cane families always give back to the communities where we live, work, and play. Louisiana sugarcane, making life sweeter, naturally. Sugarcane, sweet sugarcane. Every day across America, excess food is gathered by a network of good people at local food banks, giving hope to millions of children who struggle with hunger. They've earned their wings, and you can too. Together, we can solve child hunger. Support Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. In this week's Twilight Boost, we found the real-life version of Ferdinand the Bull, who's taking over the internet and winning the hearts of all of his fans on social media. Meet Spud, a Hereford Bull born and raised in Ruston, Louisiana at the Louisiana Tech Farm. His mom, Laura, fell in love with the bull when she was a student at Tech. After she graduated, she moved Spud back to her hometown in Illinois. Spud became famous on social media when his mom, or Moom as she calls herself, started posting videos of him and his obsession with bouncy balls. Today, Spud has his own TikTok and Instagram pages where he has more than 98,000 followers. If you want to keep up with Spud and watch more of his videos, we posted a link to his social media pages on our website at twilighttv.org. 
Well, that does it for this edition of Twyla. Be sure to join us next week when we'll show you how the NRCS is helping to improve pine plantations across the state and restoring valuable habitat for wildlife. Until then, you can watch all of our stories online at twilatv.org and be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find all of these stories and more on our YouTube channel. If you'd like to hear more from the stories in this week's episode of Twyla, you should check out the latest episode of our Twyla After Show podcast. That's also on our website at twilatv.org. For all of us here at Twyla, thanks for joining us. We hope to see you again right here next week.